I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast by the Takshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to another episode of All Things Policy. Today, we want to discuss why India has not joined the RCEP or the Regional. comprehensive economic partnership which is uh, a, basically a trade agreement between china and the asean countries new zealand australia and so on we've done a couple of episodes in the past uh, on all things policy on rcep what it means why is it good for global trade what does it mean for india to be part of what does it mean for india not to be a part of etc so we don't want to repeat too much of those but we recently the the agreement actually came into being india was not part of it even though india was part of the negotiating table since 2013 uh, but in november of 2019 india decided not to be a part of this uh, particular agreement and when this deal was signed the rest of the countries actually asked india once again basically you know are you in or out and we decided that we want to be out and our answer was quite firm on that aspect so to discuss all of this i have manoj with me uh, manoj welcome to the show Hey, yeah. So, Manoj, can you brief us on why did we not join the RCEP? So, I, you know, when I was just looking back, I was going back to uh, what happened in November last year. Uh, so, obviously, the negotiations for RCEP began in November 2012. Uh, seven years after those talks, you ended up with uh, a final meeting between the leaders in Bangkok. Uh, Prime Minister Modi goes to that meeting, and here's what he said when he announced that we are not joining the meeting. Okay, uh, not joining RCEP. He said, and I'm quoting him: When we look around, we see during seven years of RCEP negotiations, many things, including the global economic and trade scenario. have changed we cannot overlook these changes the present form of the rcep agreement does not fully reflect the basic spirit and the agreed guiding principles of rcep it does not satisfactorily address india's outstanding issues and concerns now what are these outstanding issues and concerns there are a bunch of them right and uh, the indian government has sort of uh, you know different ministers have gone on record trying to explain to us why india has not joined them modi has spoken about the fact that this doesn't necessarily benefit that modi ji of course he's spoken about how it doesn't benefit uh, that last at, at the person at the last mile at the end of uh, the chain uh, in india and he can see that manufacturers in india were obviously not happy with this uh, and the biggest reason was with regard to the threat of a potential import surge with cheap uh, goods from china entering china uh, entering india in bulk and destroying local manufacturing across the board the other arguments that recently uh, after this agreement was signed uh, the foreign minister indian foreign minister s jayashankar went in put forward was that uh, there was no clarity in the differential in terms of tariff reduction with china was not sufficient so uh, let me just explain this a little bit uh, countries would reduce tariffs across the board on a range of goods whereas india was negotiating with china that there would be a differential where the chinese would would reduce a higher level of tariffs whereas india would reduce a lower level of tariffs on a different range of goods and that would then be harmonized over a period of time and this differential was not sufficient from an indian point of view there was a threat of uh, rules of origin being circumvented india wanted a very tight regime with regard to where the goods originate from and therefore then you can have this differential come into play because if you have chinese goods being sort of uh, imported through 
another RCEP country into India, then that's the challenge of flooding. And this is not just with RCEP. India has complained about this with even FTAs that it has with countries in the Indian Ocean, to the subcontinent, where it said that Chinese could sort of come through that route. There was another concern with regard to sort of assurances on market access and non-tariff barriers and that those will not be used. Now, if you just look at what's happened with China and Australia in the last uh, week or so, you can see why those concerns may make some sense. Uh, the Chinese have not sort of, uh, they've raised uh, tariffs across the board on a bunch of Australian goods, wine, particularly barley, and they're using that as coercive economic measures. So that's India's concerns. And that's right. what India says were not addressed. Okay, that that makes, uh, I mean, thanks for that. that. That's quite a good summary. So the way I see it, there's a whole bunch of, you know, logistical issues, you know, things like about rules of trade, which is to do with this, um, you know, the country of origin, etc., where essentially you can have Chinese products coming in through another country without um, the necessary, uh, you know, again, the rules that they want to set. So those are the logistical issues. But I think the, the largest aspect is this fear, right? The fear of opening up the markets to external competition. And, and uh, I think that is the most telling kind of indication in in all of this that India is still afraid of foreign competition. I mean, if we have to call it the way it is, then it's just that, right? That we are afraid of foreign competition, especially China, and uh, that we, you know, we sincerely believe that our manufacturing cannot withstand this kind of competition. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, at the heart of it is that, right? That we believe that, and it's also not just government, but it's also industry particularly, which is... uh, and you can see why they would want to be more protectionist. Who would want to give up uh, the benefits that you enjoy within you know, the domestic market? But I think in some of these arguments, we tend to lose out the fact that, uh, you know, the obvious thing is about, yes, consumers may benefit. But the idea that, you know, and you've made this argument, and I'm sure you will make this going forward also, is that in the sphere of competition, you're also losing markets abroad. And that's the big issue. Yeah. I mean, uh, that industries uh, for protectionism is is no uh, secret or it's not, it doesn't come as a surprise at all. I mean, the existing market is always anti-market. I mean, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but, you know, the existing set of players in a, in a particular market will always be uh, against opening up the market to, you know, further competition, whether it's foreign competition, whether it's domestic competition. No one likes competition, right? As long as you are in it already. Uh, but to get in, you always want more competition. So that is fair. I mean, you go, you can go all the way back to, you know, uh, the most famous thing about uh, Bastiat who says that manufacturers of candle will want protectionism against the sun uh, in a sense, right? So uh, you can, I mean, that that's always going to be there. And Indian industry, if you look back, you know, the Bombay plan of the 70s, uh, of the 60s, uh, rather essentially, you know, said that we should be protectionist. And of course, they wanted to be because you didn't want foreign competition and no, nothing has changed. Everywhere you go, industry will always want protectionism. Uh, and that's fair. But should the government always listen to them is the big question, right? That's one aspect that you have to consider. And in terms of losing market access abroad, see, uh, the way I see it is that India is in an extremely insecure place. Uh, even after all of these years, uh, India is in an extremely insecure place that, uh, that you know, this comes from a fact that you're not, you're not really looking at uh, opportunities of free trade. Uh, that free trade could, uh, you know, potentially open up, but you're looking at always the threat of free trade, right? And and that tells a lot about a country, the way it approaches trade, tells a lot about the 
position that the country is in right if you're doing well if you have confidence in your economy and if you have confidence in your manufacturing then you will always look at free trade as an opportunity that you can go to other markets and conquer it or not really conquer probably that's a bad word uh, but you know at least exploit that opportunity and uh, make profits but instead we are always afraid of foreign competition coming in and that tells you a lot about you know the state of the industry the state of manufacturing the state of uh, uh, this thing i mean and that's an indictment right i mean uh, all these years of so called reforms of uh, since at least 91 if you look at you know the liberalization that happened and 30 years since then we are still you know extremely afraid of foreign competition uh, in fact we are becoming more and more protectionist in a sense every given year so uh, i i don't know what to make of that manoj yeah i think that's the real challenge right because i mean first so i had a few concerns when i was sort of when i when india pulled out of the agreement my first thought was that each of your concerns each of the concerns of the indian government outlined okay they are valid these are genuine concerns you know these are genuine trade offs that uh, you are unwilling to make uh, when you are saying that you don't want to enter this agreement because of because of you know domestic issues with the economy and the political economy of all this and fair enough that's the decision that the government is making my concern is we were negotiating this agreement for 7 years and in that time period it is incredible that there were two governments that negotiated this agreement in india and neither of them seemingly thought about what would it take to prepare india to enter such an agreement yeah. uh, what would it take to prepare manufacturing what it prepared to take you know from a skills perspective from a talent perspective what do we need to do where do we need to invest there was no public discourse on this there was no discussion on this and when we pulled out our essential argument has been at least in the broad media it has been about this is the government protecting you against an onslaught from china yeah. which is one of the problems in terms of also how rcep is being discussed generally in media not just in india but even around the world of a china led trade agreement <laughs> you know I, I, and i find this sort of uh, these are sort of very these are narratives which are damaging because they end up hurting like you're saying the the objective of moving forward carrying out economic reforms making industry much more competitive so that you know 5 10 years down the road you're still not struggling to make sure that you make that cycle well enough for the indian market and the consumer has to live with that so i think yeah you're absolutely right i mean there is all said done there are 16 countries uh, right yeah who were part of the rcep uh india was one of the founding i mean whatever who was there from the beginning so in some sense it's not even china led and and there are other countries and and they, you know there's mutual kind of benefit for all of these countries and therefore they're in you know and there will always be give and take as we've spoken about there's uh, you might have trade deficit with one country but that can only mean that you might have uh, trade surplus with another right it doesn't mean that all of this will just go on to exacerbate our trade deficit Uh, I mean, I can go on another tangent saying trade deficit by itself is not the problem, but I'll save that for another day. Yeah, and you know, and the others, and the challenge with this narrative is that uh, at the moment, RCEP countries are still to sort of they've signed this agreement, but this still has to be ratified by their domestic sort of uh, legislatures and so on and so forth for it to sort of take hold. And that's a process that's going to play out. In the meantime, they've told uh, India that you know the door is open in case you reconsider and you want to come yeah. and join. Yeah. But this narrative, when you craft it as uh, oh this is this some sort of deep strategic trap the chinese have laid you know it disincentivizes any sort of conversation of okay well what do we need to do to make our economy much more competitive and in addition to that when you have the country's foreign minister come out and make comments to say essentially 
that, you know, FTAs have conventionally proved uh, not beneficial for us and that's a problem. That is a problem because there are frameworks that are there and industry has not leveraged those frameworks. And that's, I think, you need to look at why you've not leveraged the opportunities that your negotiations have created and how you can, you know, use them better rather than arguing against free trade. So that to me is troubling down the road, uh, beyond RCEP. Uh, and then the conversation, again, I'm talking about the, the foreign minister who made this comment, which is, and he spoke about you know, how India will not focus on these big multilateral agreements. Instead, we will now be focusing on bilateral deals with, say, the West, with the EU, the US, and so on and so forth. Again, these are deals that we've been talking about for a very long time. It's wonderful that the government wants to go and conclude these agreements. But have you had a conversation of how to prepare industry with these agreements? Not at all. I mean, I'll give you the answer to that one. Absolutely not. Um, The simple fact that, again, we have not been able to get a trade agreement with, for instance, EU uh, in the last 20 years or or so of negotiating with them um, tells you that we are incapable of, I think, at some point, incapable of, you know, having free trade agreements because we don't believe in free trade. We want a condition, an idealistic condition where we get into a trade agreement where um, essentially, there, are not, there is not a single loser within the country, right? And it's all gain, gain, gain. But that's not possible. We understand that, you know, you'll have to give up something in order to get something. But what you get will be much, much larger. Uh, but that's, I mean, in, in, in let's take that EU case, which is again, which is playing out in the, I mean, the reason why I'm bringing it up is this exact, one of the reasons for why we are not joining the RCEP is the fear, for instance, that... Um, I mean, forget the China factor for now, right? Even leaving that aside, one of the big other fears is that um, the dairy products from Australia and New Zealand will completely, you know, inundate our markets and therefore our weak, unorganized dairy sector will get hurt, right? That's that's a very real thing. But the same thing has been played out over and over and over again with uh, trade deals with the US and trade deals with EU. We are afraid of that and we'll always be afraid, right? When do you reckon that we'll get out of that fear and say, okay, now our dairy uh, industry is ready to be competitive? The answer is never. Because if you keep shielding a particular industry, they will never be ready. We know this, right? Um, we've, We've shielded, you know, many industries who have never been ready and, and that's always going to be the case, right? Unless you brutally expose them to competition and then that gets resolved one way or the other. If they're weak and if they can't be, you know, structurally reformed in some sense, then they die and then that's perfectly okay for industries to die. Or they're strong enough that and they'll be resilient and they'll actually get more productive with competition. One way or the other, it gets resolved, right? With the EU, for instance, I mean, we've been talking about this. We didn't want to give up agricultural subsidies. The EU didn't want to give up uh, dairy subsidies. And that's stuck in a deadlock for the last 20 years. Uh, with the US, we've banned US, uh, you know, import of US dairy products. And with, you know, you can take hundreds of such examples uh, around the world. We'll always have a problem with getting into a free trade agreement because there'll be one sector or the other within India who's always going to be vulnerable to competition. That should be seen as, again, uh, as as a failure of that particular industry in question and the regulations surrounding that industry rather than, you know, seeing that it's a failure of FTAs uh, by itself. I mean, I, I, I will in some time uh, talk about why the FTAs by themselves are not, you know, in, in fact a failure. Uh, just briefly, in fact, you know, our, our uh, FTA with ASEAN has overall uh, proved to be far more 
I, I would say a far more lucrative and beneficial to us than what was even imagined because um, what has happened is it has actually increased our trade uh, deficit with let's say Japan and that is what is highlighted as to why uh, let's say an FTA doesn't work that India's market is exposed but on the other hand what has happened uh, truly is that we import a lot of machinery and capital goods right industrial supplies capital goods transport equipment and other machinery now all of these are intermediary goods which means that these intermediate goods have overall helped Indians uh, manufacturing co uh, companies, right? It increases our productive capacity, it increases our productivity, it helps in employment generation. So we use all of these intermediate goods to produce more. And then we export that. In fact, our overall exports of goods because of these imports have overall increased. And that's the argument that's always been made, right? You import something, use that as value add, uh, uh, you know, and that goes into other uh, manufacturing and then you export those things. So um, our trade deficit with Japan has, in, as I'm sure, if you look at the overall picture, more than made up by our trade surpluses elsewhere uh, by what we have exported, right? So, you know, if you look at, these aspects of trade. I mean, I, I think that's the whole point of this, right? Uh, trade should not be looked at a partial equilibrium analysis. It's not just trade deficit between India and Japan. It should be looked at overall India's competitiveness in the world stage. Uh, and then you will find that even by entering something like RCEP, our overall trade competitiveness will increase, right? When you have a free trade agreement with other countries. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think that's the challenge, right? I mean, that the holistic picture is not looked at. Uh, instead, we are looking at it. And a lot of this is basically being done from the point of view of uh, political economy. And I think it would be, uh, it's a bit of an indictment on governments in India in terms of where they have chosen to spend political capital given, you know, I mean, UPA2 was free of the left. Yet it did not sort of, uh, you know, while it launched its negotiations, it didn't last long enough after that to be able to take things forward. But NDA 1 and NDA 2 under Modi clearly had more than enough political capital to, you know, spend preparing and still does in some ways to spend preparing India for this. Yet it has chosen not to do that, which tells you a little bit about sort of priorities uh, in terms of uh, where the government wants to spend its political capital. I mean, from the point of view of, you know, just use of FTAs, there's an interesting, I was reading this interesting interview uh, of Ambassador Shamsaran and he talks about, you know, how in our FTAs with Japan and Singapore, we haven't used provisions that exist. And he gives the example of the FTA with Japan, where he says that there is a commitment by Japan to assist Indian pharmaceutical industry through regulatory and registration processes uh, so mm -hmm. that we can be competitively priced in that market and have access to that market. Um, right. But the industry hasn't used it and neither has the government sort of persuaded industry to use it. And then you can't, you know, claim that, you know, the FTA doesn't benefit. If you don't use provisions that are there because you are insular or because you're not looking at expansion or because you're very risk averse, then, you know, you're never really going to grow. And I think that's, uh, that's another big challenge. And let's talk about, uh, you know, now we're talking about using, you know, bilateral deals with the West. Uh, let's talk about how something like RCEP sets standards. And why, apart from sort of the numbers of trade and competitiveness, that is can be problematic from an Indian point of view. Because this is a huge market area that we're talking about. And they are going to be setting common standards going forward. One of the things that I was reading was about how, uh, say, uh, there will be standards about uh, with regard to inputs in the manufacture of a certain kind of product. And then the standards for the quality of that particular product will get harmonized across the board, across countries within this agreement. 
and that again if these if you have companies in south korea which are producing let's say shampoos you know and i don't know if they produce shampoos but i'm just saying they manufacture shampoos uh, and uh, you know and the standard across rcep is very similar for what constitutes what are the ingredients or what uh, or what are the sort of balances of them then that also becomes because of economies of scale that will also likely be standards as you start exporting to other countries which will be outside rcep right you will try to find harmony as much as you can because you can't be creating different different things constantly and that's the challenge right you cut down cost by doing that and that could then apply eventually to what even india then produces right yeah yeah uh, you are i mean you're absolutely right the these are the often ignored or at least less spoken about aspects of trade right uh, which is you know standards and overall compliance cost now if you look at uh, the evolution of uh, trade barriers you would see that the direct trade barriers have you know because of wto agreements etc until of course you know trump's trade war but until then you'd see a overall massive reduction in tariffs and and quotas and you know that kind of direct trade barriers but there's been an you know increase massively of the indirect or intangible kind of trade barriers and a part of all of that is these things right which is standards and uh, you know basically non tariff trade trade barrier so whether it's labeling requirements whether it's particular standards whether it is uh, you know set of compliance in terms of environmental put, uh, compliance it could be a safety compliance it could be what is that phyto sanitary compliance etc right now uh, for example the entire european union has one set of standards and therefore countries which trade within eu of course all of them uh, subscribe to that standard and it's easy and therefore you know trade is uh, you know frictionless almost within the eu but other major trading partners with the eu they've also you know maintained those standards because you want access to that market and and uh, and so they get harmonized right and i'm guessing if rcep becomes a force to reckon with as uh, many experts believe that it will be the case they will also you know go on to set all of these standards um, you know whether it's as a, as i said hygienic standards it could be uh, environmental standards etc and again for a country you'd rather be um, within <laughs> such a trading block and uh, where it's easier to kind of you know be part of these uh, set standards and have a say in setting the standards as well than being outside of it and then be forced to comply if you want to export to those right uh, so i think india will lose out on that as well not just then you know just exporting to the rcep countries but then when once you're part of rcep then you know you have collective kind of bargaining power when it comes to standards to other countries as well right uh, so then rcep collectively can have some kind of this thing when you know us could overall it comes down to this right us could say okay these are the standards that rcep set and we are okay with this right but then india will have to negotiate individually as against uh, negotiating as part of rcep yeah i think that's the thing that we need to be thinking about this farmo with a farmo sort of holistic view and uh, you know and that's what's not happening given sort of narrow uh, compulsions i think uh, we've sort of talked about all the different aspects of the deal i mean i think it's also important for people to the deal is available publicly so if anybody wants to read i was trying to read through different sections but it's a lot of stuff that's in there uh what's also important is that there is actually stuff in there on services which is again one of the issues that india had talked about you know there is a adequate conversation on services and there are 20 chapters in there uh, and i think uh, chapter 8 talks about services including financial telecommunications professional services um and you know there's also stuff in there where uh, different countries have 
outline their objections and that's also part of the uh, you know final text that's been that's put out there so i think it would have been great for india to actually be on the table because that's when you can actually shape the agreement and it's uh, it's a pity that we've not been able to do that yeah um, but you know, one hopes that uh, go down the road there will be uh, you know far more sense at present we look it looks like we are turning towards greater autarky and one hopes that that is not the direction that we turn towards yeah definitely i think um uh, just as a concluding remark yeah you're better off at the table i mean it also gives you a reality check of what is your bargaining power right if if india has had you know trouble with some provisions within the trade agreement and we have not been able to sort it out for the last 7 years then you i think it's a you know rude awakening as to india's position in the in the global order or at least even within the regional order right yeah that part a and part b how do you increase that global uh, presence or at least even regional presence such that you can get your way by economic growth and how do you get to that economic growth one way is through exports and being part of you know re- uh, global value chains right uh, and therefore again you should join the rcep to do that but two and i think you know we we very briefly spoke about this before our recording began but yes it is hard i mean sometimes you know when you join an fta when you join uh, even a economic partnership of this sort there will be some losers but that's part of this creative destruction process right and and my reckoning is that see there are some things that we have not touched at all in terms of reform since 91 we've not really done any kind of big bang reforms and therefore we've let industry stagnate we've let many of these again our manufacturing has not kicked off in all of these uh, years and the reason is some reforms are always too difficult to do and and you know these are holy holy cows that you don't want to touch but one way to look at this is by you know forcibly you know by joining an rcep you would be forced to undertake some of these reforms just like you know covid has forced us to undertake some reforms and it's been a rude awakening i think uh, joining a free trade agreement will also be a similar kind of you know an external push for necessary domestic reforms because i think it it will le- tell us that our industry is just completely you know uncompetitive in the global stage and therefore to become competitive you need to undertake some of these reforms so okay whether we join rcep or not the fact that we are scared to join rcep should by itself force us to undertake some of these domestic reforms and i hope that's at least the small positive story that'll come out after all of this though i i you know i'm highly pessimistic that anything uh, will happen but uh, at least we should realize that you know we are scared uh, of global competition yeah and i think it's also important to sort of along with doing that and taking those steps to become more competitive one of the key steps to become more competitive is to invest in also human capital education healthcare those sorts of things so there's essentially it's a whole bunch of things that need to be done to become competitive and i think that's uh, that's the one thing that people also miss out a lot when they talk about you know how is the chi- how are the chinese become so competitive is a lot to do with also investments in education and health over decades yeah. um and and currently also sort of vocational training skilling people uh, we've got schemes we've got things but we've not been able to deliver the kind of results that one would hope uh, and i think that's the long term vision right uh, human capital structural industry reforms aimed at becoming much more competitive yeah the hope for india lies in a globalized world i mean it is 
perfectly in our interest to have a liberal trade regime where we import more definitely but we also export more uh, the only way we can export more is by importing more be part of global value chains and definitely definitely the exact opposite of uh, self reliance and you know whatever this inward looking policy right we need to be out there and that's the only way we can shape the global world order going forward thanks so much manoj for joining in i think we can uh, it, this was not a very technical set of you know discussion points on rcep i think that's been overdone in terms of what exactly is the percentage point kind of thing on on trade deficits and so on but this is an this is the approach that india should take towards uh, trade agreements and rcep is you know one big such trade agreements i i still think that you know if if you you know set yourself a goal say let's say by by the next 4 years or 5 years india will join rcep and then do everything necessary in order to prepare india to do that right uh, i think that's probably one way forward from going from here yeah makes sense makes sense thanks so much thanks manoj thanks for joining in and thanks everyone for listening in again tune in tomorrow for the next episode uh, in the meanwhile we talk a lot about you know trade and comparative advantage in a lot of our courses whether it's the gcpp uh, which talks about you know economic reasoning for trade uh, we also have defense and foreign affairs we talk about uh, economic relations with of india with the rest of the world so uh, if you're interested in any of these do consider joining up and signing up for our courses thank you so much if you liked our show Don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila INST. और आवर वेबसाइट तक्षशिला.org.in